0: If you're visiting with us today, or you may have been gone a couple weeks in a row, you might not know that what we've been doing is the last three weeks, and today is the fourth week, we've been kind of taking a, a side. We've been preaching through the book of Genesis, but we've kind of taken from the book of Genesis, used it as a launch pad to look at to a topic, to look into the topic of God using us to bring other people to Jesus. So we've been looking at, you know, the word that we don't want to kick around for that is evangelism. But I really don't like that term because the term really has got a bad, kind of a bad rap, that people think of it as something that it's really not. And it's just simply, it's us being used by God to to lead people to Him. And what I've been trying to do over these last number of weeks, and you probably don't know this, kind of announce these things, but it's very systematic and very intentional. I've been really trying to work at developing the culture of our church. You see, certain things need to define who we are um, as a church, who we are as individuals. And friends, according to Jesus, that one of the things that is to be uh, a definition of who we are as Christians and who we are as Portview Church is we are to be a church that is actively engaged in bringing other people into a relationship with Christ. We're actively engaged, not something, not wishfully engaged, not hopefully engaged, but actively engage in lifestyles that that God can use to to introduce people to christ now it 's not up to us if somebody gives their life to jesus that 's between them and God. As a matter of fact, we know that it 's not a man thing at all. If somebody comes into a connected life with jesus it 's all because they 're responding to a spiritual call within their life that 's coming right from the spirit of the Lord right not about me it 's not about you i don 't twist anybody 's arm, and you know that when we have church and we 've baptized. Well, I think it's excess of 25 people already this year. People who have said, I want to serve Jesus. You know, so it happens all the time around this place. But it's not because of Mark or because of the, the, the pastoral staff or because of you. It's because of him. But guess what? He uses you and me. Because he wants to create a culture where we are actively engaged in bringing other people to Jesus. So what I've been trying to do is paint this this big picture of leading people to Christ, this big picture of evangelism that goes beyond what, what normally you think of maybe if you were going to say, oh, the church is going to talk about evangelism which would just be kind of a list of how-to's and, and memorize a certain structure of scripture and, and ought-to's kind of guilt you into doing something one thing you learn about me is I never operate by guilt. Matter of fact, I'm trying in my life to learn how to not be led by operating by guilt. I'll say to Suzanne quite often, I'll say, hon um, I, I know that other people all think I ought to do that But I don't really think I should. And so I'll be talking to myself. She just sits and listens and nods her head. And what it is is really trying to teach myself not to operate out of guilt, but operate and do the right things because of the right things. And you know what? So I'm not going to try to guilt you at all. And I haven't, have I, in the last three weeks, tried to guilt you in the slightest bit as we've looked at this topic of evangelism. And so as we've looked at this, I'm trying to deal with our culture, kind of the, the DNA of who we are. Um, we started in the book of Genesis, as our first week, looking at the idea of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to give you a little synopsis of where we've been and where, we, where we're at today. We looked at this un- understanding of the kingdom of God, and we found that the kingdom of God is to be offensive. We challenged this idea that the kingdom of God is, is the one that's got the bulwark up and the devil's attacking us. We looked at scripture rightly and said, no, the kingdom of God is offensive, and it's the kingdom that's assaulting the kingdom of darkness and that we as a church are to be advancing, and that the main way that we advance the kingdom of God is we help people go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And every time somebody comes to Jesus, chains are broken, darkness is dispelled, and they enter into the kingdom of light. And we saw that as we we used a, a story of warfare in the book of Genesis to see that God's people are supposed to be on the offensive. Then the next week, and by the way, all these messages go to our po- go to our website portviewchurch.com and go on the on the on the podcast partners. Download them. And listen to them. it cost you a dime, and you can get the big picture. Now, I think the second week, something, we had a snafu, and I think something happened in our audio for the first time. I think one of our messages isn't on there. And that mess, the second message was, was this. We talked about being offensive, the first message, having a heart that the kingdom is advancing, and we're all part of the kingdom. The second week, we looked at what we said was the heart of the issue, kind of the passion of the issue why would we go out of our way to reach lost people and that as we did that we spent some time and pastor Bruce I had him dressed up like an old man with a with a big beard and and he tried to be William Booth and he related to you word for word a vision that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, had. And we talked about that. So he took about ten minutes and went through a monologue of, of William Booth's vision. And we used that as a jump-off point to say, why would anybody be in, in interested or passionate about reaching the lost? And what we found from his vision that was really just from Scripture is a truth. And the truth is that all people without Jesus are lost. And all, his picture was they're drowning in a sea. And that there's only certain people that can help them. They're the ones that that have been brought to new life. They're on the rescue boats. They're on, they said, the safe island, which was Jesus. And that they were building ladders to rescue them and and boats to rescue them. And and that that they're crying out for help. And the only ones that that are there to help are you and me, if we know Jesus already. And friends, it goes along with the idea that Jesus had that, that the fields are white for harvest. And what I was hoping to accomplish with that is that you would look at the world different. That you would, your, the heart would be different. You'd, you'd get in your car and you would drive, and instead of being angry with the guy who cut you off, you'd recognize that, that he's ripe for harvest. You'd understand that there's a world of lostness out there. And then it would affect the way you go to the grocery store. It would affect the way you go to work. It would affect the way you interact with people. That you would recognize that they're just drowning, that they're sinking beneath the water, and somebody's got to pick them up and help them. So we try to deal with the, the passion of it. Why is it important? And then last week we took the next step as we're, as we're building these building blocks of culture and we looked at us as a local church. And we said, you know, what kind of a local church do we need to be to be effective at winning people for Christ? And the first thing we found is that we need to be a group of bringers. That every single one of us, we looked at, at Andrew and in the scriptures and, and I told you a story about a couple of ladies that I knew that were just bringers. You know, and that, that they, just, they just invite people. And if you invite people, you do something. You bring them into the place that God created to be an incubator for, uh, for evangelism and discipleship, and he called it the local church. And that, that God created this place, a place where we pray, a place where we worship, a place where somebody that needs, maybe come in, could walk in today and have needs in their life and say, I'm desperate for answers, and they walk in here, and somebody holds their hand and prays for them, and God answers. You know that God loves to answer the prayers of a person doesn't know him yet? He loves to do that. He doesn't just answer prayers of people who know him. And so we create a culture around here, an atmosphere where people can encounter God. And so all we have to do, first of all, in the local church is we need to be bringers. And the second thing we found out about what has to happen in the local churches is, is this. We find out that the type of people that we are in the church determines if somebody meets Jesus at our church. We looked at Jesus' high priestly prayer where he prayed for, for unity to develop, love to be developed in the, in amidst his people. And it said very clearly in John 17, so that the world would see it and know that he was sent by the Father. So that the reality of Christ would be demonstrated um, through you and me, more than through me preaching a message. It would be demonstrated by us loving one another. And people would go, holy cow! They're different than the people I work with. They're different than the people I live with. They're surely different than the people I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner with. You know, they're all going to be drinking beer and arguing over who won the sheephead game. You know, that's my family coming up. Uh, you know, and that's that's what that's what you know they're encountering in the world. Not people caring about them. People caring about me, myself, and I. And so we looked at if we'd be a church of bringers, and that and when we bring them in, we'd be a place filled with love and unity and care for one another. That we'd bring them into an environment that God could use to then lead them to Him. So that's the three weeks prior. Now, I could have preached it all that quick, right? <laughs> no, not really. So now, week four, today, I want to add another block to our cultural development. And today what I want to talk about is something more specific, um, dealing with you as individuals. Um, now, I know all of it dealt with you as individuals, but I'm going to say this. You as individuals, as people outside of the church on how you can be effective at being used by God to bring people into the kingdom. And we're going to do something. We're going to look at a formula. Can you pop that formula up here on the screen? We're going to look at a formula um, that explains how this can happen. And this formula is not original from me. This formula is from a guy named Bill Hybels. Some of you have heard of him. Some of you have you know, like or dislike. I don't really care, but I'll tell you this. His book called Becoming a Contagious Christian, in my opinion, is the best single book on evangelism that you can read. On how to help you personally become equipped and dispel some myths and help you find your individual um, style for evangelism. Because you think a lot of times you've got to be like me. Guess what? None of you are like me. If I was in a place and nobody's around, I'd talk to the speaker. You know, I, I, would, I would talk to a fence post. It's just the way I am. You know, I never stop. It's just the way God made me. When I was in school, before I knew Jesus, my teachers in elementary school made me a button. They did. They went away and they said non-stop stereo talk. Um, I just was bred to talk. And that's just the way I am. And so I have to watch what I say. But the fact of the matter is, you've got somebody else who's got the same button. Um, but uh, Heibel's, Heibel's in his book, Becoming a contagious Christian. And I recommend every one of you buy that book and read it. Um, he gives this this um, formula. Now understand, we're not going to chemistry class. Who 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 hated chemistry in school? All right. I'm in good company. Um, I didn't hate chemistry. I actually like sciences, but, but it was, it's not an easy class. Um, we're not going to chemistry class. So all of you who hated chemistry and you're right now saying, I'm getting up and walking out, this is not a chemical equation. Rather, this is just a formula. It's a way of expressing how a person can have a maximum impact um, in the world around them, That's what MI equals. And we're gonna, I'm going to put the rest of it on the board in a minute, on the screens. But what we're going to talk about how to become a maximum impact Christian, being effective at influencing people for Christ. So to do that, let me explain, first of all, what the parts of the formula are. And We're going to kind of go back and forth today. I'm going to talk about them individually, and I'm going to put them together as a whole, and then I'm going to break them back as individual parts again in a little more depth, okay? So follow me. Keep your brains tuned in today, because this is important stuff for you. And so um, put the other one up on there once. Let's explain what the parts mean. There we go. Um, The the three parts that equal maximum impact are very simple. They're HP, high potency, and I'm going to explain the whole time. We're going to explain what these mean and how they interact. Plus CP, close proximity, plus CC, clear communication, equals maximum impact. Now lest you think I'm just saying something because some guy in Illinois said it was true, Let's turn to our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to find out that what we're talking about here, this formula really, in essence, rises out of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he taught about something that's probably incredibly familiar to you, people being salt and light. So grab your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 to 16 in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you're in the pew section, grab underneath. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Take that. If you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. It's yours. It's our gift from our church. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, and let me warn you before we, I go on. So often when we read familiar sections of Scripture, what we do is we say, oh, I know what that says already. I think God has something to say out of this that you've not thought of before. So listen, let the Spirit of the Lord instruct you as we, as we read the divinely imparted word that God has given to us as a gift. It says you, he's talking to Christians, Jesus, words are in red um, in my Bible, the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13. You, everybody say me, me, talking to you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, in other words it's not salty, How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, say me, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." Stop right there. Jesus is talking to his disciples, talking to his followers he's talking to me and you, and he wants all of his followers to see themselves in a certain way. He wants us to see ourselves as salt and light in how we live out our lives in the world, and that's really what this formula is all about it's where it comes from these three elements high potency and, and close proximity and clear communication come out of jesus's instructions for us to be salt and light and let's just kind of briefly maybe, maybe explain that for you let's think about salt first now you've all probably heard sermons about the influence of salt i think i've preached a couple of in my life this is not one of those uh, but we know the influence of salt on things salt affects things around it salt makes it thirsty right Salt adds flavor, and salt preserves. You know, if I uh, if I smoke one of those salmon I catch, where's John? I hadn't even thought of this. Don't go there. There's a trophy to be granted to the best salmon fisherman, and I think I won. 2010 Salmon Catching Trophy. I had not even thought about that, John, until right now. I'm quite sure he's going to have Mark Larson on it this year has to do with who caught the most salmon while we're together. So, you can ask John about it. Um, salt makes you thirsty. Salt adds flavor. And salt preserves. When I'm smoking salmon, I, I soak it in salt first. That really preserves the meat. Then I put it on my smoker and I smoke it. And uh, so the, the smoke doesn't do it. The salt, does, the salt preserves it. So, so salt influences. And, and Jesus may well have been thinking about all of those effects. He may have had them all in mind when he said, You're the salt of the earth. But I don't think that's the point he's trying to make here. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying I don't think that's the main point. Because he does something about salt and life, he goes on and talks about him afterwards in this, in, this, in this thing we just read, in the text. Because I think there's another point that he was trying to make. He says this, he says, You are salt, right? And it's, all these influences are not accurate. But if salt has become tasteless, in other words, salt's not salty anymore, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown in the ground and stomped on by your feet. You know, he looks at salt and says, for it to be useful, it must be salty, right? For salt to be useful, it must be salty. In other words, for salt to be useful, it must have a high level of potency. It must be potent. It must, salt must be salty. That's its its potency. It must have the ability for it to be any good to create thirst and add flavor and to preserve what it's put on. It must have a high level of saltiness, a high level of potency, um, because you know what? Tasteless salt uh, is worthless on my popcorn at night. You ever try when the doctors tell you you can't eat salt? My blood pressure's high. I can't imagine why. But my blood pressure's high. It always is. And uh, so they tell me not to eat salt. Well, how can you eat popcorn without salt? I've tried those air poppers. No salt. You might as well just eat dirt. It's, it's, it's no, it, it would be better. And so... Uh, Salt that has no saltiness is absolutely useless. So one of the points that Jesus is trying to make here about being salty, salting like Christians, he's trying to make a, a, a statement about um, us living salty lives, lives that are salty. Um, and that life that is salty, we're going to find out as we look at this, is a life that, that's highly potent, the highly potent life has to do with our ability uh, to have an influence. That's what the potency does. It influences the things it comes in contact with. It must have an ability to influence and impact those around it through the lifestyle that it lives. That's what high potency is all about, the lifestyle that we live. And we'll talk about that in depth in a little while. Now, let's look at the next one it's for the close proximity. Another of the things that's related to this idea of salt and saltiness and potency is that the potency of salt means very little if it does not come in contact with something that needs to be affected by its potency, right? Potent salt needs to touch something to have an effect. Salt that stays in a salt shaker does no good. Today, you know, Suzanne's favorite comfort food is mashed potatoes make some mashed potatoes, take that salt shaker and stick it right in the middle of it and stir that salt shaker up. And guess what? Those potatoes still need some, some flavor. They still need some salt. Salt that stays in the shaker doesn't do any good. Um, it flavors nothing in the shaker. It preserves nothing in the shaker. It causes no thirst when it's in the shaker. So another thing that arises out of Jesus is telling them that they must, His followers, they must be salty, high, high level of saltiness, is that they must come in contact with those that need to be affected by their potency. And that's the idea of close proximity. And again, we're going to explain that in a few minutes. First, we're going to talk about the last one. Let's think for a minute about light now. Jesus says, you're salt and you're light. Jesus said we are the light of the world. And, and in verse 16, he goes on to say that, that one of the ways our light shines is that we do good works. He said if they do good works, they'll see their Father in heaven. And that'll reveal God's love to the world, and that's that's the light of God shining. But there's another way that, that light shines that we are light. In Psalm 119:105, one of my favorite verses, it says this. It's talking about the Lord, and it says, "Your word, Lord, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway." you Ever heard that verse? Your word, God's word, is a lamp, is a light to to shine forth. It's a, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, letting our light shine. He says, you are light. This should be said on a hill. Letting our light shine is to shine forth his word. We shine forth his word in the darkness. That's the way that we shine. We shine forth the gospel message to those who need to hear it, those who are living in darkness. Those who are drowning in the sea, they need a, they need a, a life preserver, but the life preserver is not something that really causes them to float. Um, in the sense, physically, it's the word of God that transforms them and lifts them up and brings them to, to Christ. You know, Jesus said, uh, um, you don't take a light. The same thing he said is salt. You know, if it's no salt, you throw it away. But light, he says the same thing. He says, okay, you're light. But then he says, but you don't, you've got to do something with it. He says, it's got to have an effect. He says, you don't light a light and hide it under a bushel basket. No, you light a light and set it on a hill and put it on a lampstand for it to shine. And this means that we must be able to communicate God's word, to explain to people the message of the gospel. And that's what clear communication is all about. Now let me kind of briefly bring this all together and then we're going to break it apart again. Okay? So, to be a salt and light Christian and have maximum impact, we need to have these three elements um, become part of who we are. And, and I'll just say in advance, I think oftentimes we look at that and I say, yeah, I'm really good at one or two of them and often we're pretty good at two of them. But then we'll find one where we weak in my my point today is this, that we need to have all three of them operating in our life. If we don't have all three, we will not really be a maximum impact Christian. You see, the light, the salt that we need to have in our lives is high potency, um, where we live different than the world around us. Salt is different than everything around it. And, and we reveal that way as we're different by this highly potent life that Jesus really has made an impact in our lives. When somebody sees me being different because of my relationship with Christ, They go, well, Jesus must be real because he's real in your life. We also um, find that like salt, we need to allow our potency to affect other people um, by being with other people. And here's one of the real challenges for people who have known Christ for a while. We cannot live in isolation, staying in a salt shaker, and, uh, and expect to be a maximum impact Christian. We cannot expect to affect other people if our potency does not ever touch them. And then like light... We need to shine through the darkness of the lies and the misconceptions of the world with the truth of God's word that has the power to transform people's lives. So we need all three to really be an affecting, maximum impact Christian. Any two won't work. So let's break them down individually, and then we'll say how we have to have all three of them together. We'll go back to high potency again. It's salt being salty. Or for the Christian, it's a Christian being Christ-like. You need to know something. If you're serious about winning people to the kingdom, bringing people to Jesus, you need to know this point right here. You understand that to influence people for Jesus, the biggest thing that destroys your ability to convey the gospel message is one thing. It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the biggest tool that the enemy can use to destroy the message that God wants to communicate through you. You know, if a non-Christian hears you maybe at work, or maybe in the neighborhood, or maybe in some club, or a family reunion, hears someone talking about the great love of their Savior, raving about Jesus, talking about how wonderful Jesus is, and how He's affected your life, and they know that Christian person to be unloving themselves, to be unkind, to be unjust, then guess what's going to happen? They will dismiss what is said, no matter how truthful it may be. Some people have this idea, well, if I just tell them the truth, well, that's all that needs to happen. No. It, does, it matters who says it. That's why we need to be a church that communicates love and unity. Because it matters where the message is coming from, because if the message doesn't line up with the messenger, it's dismissed offhand as being in, invalid. You know, friends, understand something, so in, in this case, and in all cases, um, as a Christian, we, you and me, we are the vehicle through which God's message is distributed to the world. And our lives are to validate the message by being highly potent, not to contradict the message. And Jesus would say, if you're not living like that, you're unsalty salt. And you might as well just be thrown on the ground trampled on your feet. So otherwise, if you're not effective, you'll be no good. But you know what I found? God's word says it's true, but I've seen it to be true. Let some Christian person live and love like Jesus in the world where they are. Let them be kind when they're wronged. Anybody ever been wronged in your life? We can choose how to respond. We can respond like Jesus, or we can respond like unsaved Mark, or unsaved you. You know? Let some Christian person live in love like Jesus. Let them be kind when they're wrong. Let them apologize when they've done something wrong instead of blaming everybody else. They look completely different than anybody else in the workplace you know what happened? People will listen to what that person has to say because their life lines up with the message that they're teaching. You know, the first thing that you need for maximum impact, if you want to be serious about winning people to Christ, is that you need to do a person who has a highly potent life. A life of holiness, a life where you act like Jesus, a life where you're salty. In other words, a salt is salty, a Christian is like Christ. You know what? They used to say it like this. You got to walk the walk before you can talk the talk. You know what? Talking the talk is easy. But you know what? We're all in the process of transformation. Does that mean you're supposed to be perfect? Who in here is perfect? Okay. None of us are. We're not perfect, but you know what it means? It means we're working working towards allowing Jesus to transform us. And you know what? I'm a whole lot better than I was when I started this thing 30 years ago, walking with Jesus. And so are you. So we need to work towards becoming conformed to the image of Christ. So that's the, the high potency. Now the second thing we said is necessary is close proximity. And I said earlier that salt that stays in a shaker is useless. And think of it this way. You could find, I don't think there's such a thing as more potent salt. Because, you know, it was back then because the salt was something they literally took off the ground. You know, it was, it was salt that they took from the Dead Sea. Now we have chemicals and it's different. But imagine this. If you had the most potent salty salt in the world that it would be absolutely no good if it didn't come in contact with something that needed to be affected by the saltiness. You know, drop that shaker in my popcorn again and it's not going to help. And the same is true for you and me. And this is, where, this is the point that I think, as a church, we need to grasp on the strongest because it's going to be the biggest challenge for every one of us. This is the one Suzanne and I were talking about just this morning on the way to church and is this. We can live the most highly potent life. You can be holy. You can be pure. Matter of fact, you can memorize the entire Bible that all good stuff? You can do it all. You can have the greatest skill set in the world to be able to communicate the gospel, but you know what? If you are not rubbing shoulders with people who don't yet know Christ, then you will have no impact for the kingdom of God. You hear what I said? You can, ha- you can be living it, friends. You can say, but man, look at me. My church celebrates me because I've got it all figured out. I'm walking with Jesus. I got it all done. But you know what? If you're not spending time with people who do not yet know Christ, you will have no impact at bringing people into the gospel. You need to understand something, friends. And here's something that, that, that this transformation, I've been praying that this one point would be driven home in our hearts today, and it's this. The main people that you are to impact are those that you already live near, work with, and are related to. Those are the main people that your saltiness is supposed to impact. And for some reason, when people think about this word evangelism, this why I don't like the word evangelism, I talk to say like bringing people to Christ. When I think about evangelism, you know what they think about? Getting a team of people, heading down the street corner, with a bunch of Bible tracks, and assaulting strangers, and telling them the plan of salvation, or knocking on doors. You know, can I share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ today? now, Some of you are getting mad at me right now. You know what? Um, Maybe some people, I shouldn't say maybe, some people do come to Christ that way. Some. Stats say about 2% of the people who come to Christ get saved that way. So if you're in the 2%, you're awful glad that a stranger told you the gospel. But you know what? Study after study after study of Christianity tell us that almost everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ does so because they are influenced by a trusted family member or friend. That is all of it. It's all about relationships. Why is somebody, when you come knocking on their door, I want to share with you the plan of salvation. What do you do when someone knocks on your door and you see they have Bibles? You know what I do? I'm the pastor. I turn the lights off and I pretend I'm not home. Don't you do too? You know it. Don't lie to me. You close the door. You pull, You say, "Oh no, the Jehovah Witnesses are coming," and you hide. You know what happened one time? I shouldn't get a rabbit trail. One time, my sister, my, my there was a, my, my brother owns a duplex, and at this point, my parents were building a house, I think, and so my parents were living there, and my sister, and they had kind of had care for my nieces at the time, and I was visiting from Bible school, and I'm upstairs in the upper apartment where my parents lived, and all of a sudden, my niece Nikki comes running up the stairs. Uncle Mark, Uncle Mark, come down here. There's some Jehovah Witnesses, and I told him my uncle's a pastor, and he wants to talk to him. So that's so what I did. I honestly did. I started singing, there's power in the blood as long as I could. There is power, power, wonder-working power. And I walked down the stairs, and as I got to the front, to the bottom of the stairs, they were running out to their car. <laughs> got in their car and left. Now, I'm not criticizing that as a group, but it was pretty funny. Because here's the point. Who wants to listen to a stranger talk to them about the most important matter in the world? This is the most important matter on the planet, where somebody will spend eternity. Do you really think the person who should talk to them about that is a stranger? A person they have no idea if their life is right, no idea um, if, if what they're saying is true. That's not the person to share with them. You know, every study says that the people who are the most influential in the lives of somebody, making a relation, coming to Christ... Is a trusted family member or friend. Friends, you need to understand this day. Some of you are struggling with where you're at in your life. You need to understand, and I'm not saying there's not change because my life has been all about change, even though I didn't want any change. You know? Um, God puts you, understand this, God puts you where you are on purpose so that you can influence people for Him where you're at, where you work. Where your neighbors are, where your family is—that is your primary mission field. Okay, that's the main place. So when I say you're going to go out and bring people to Christ, don't get this idea out of your head. Just erase it off the board today. It doesn't mean you're supposed to stand down in the laundromat and pass out tracts. Now some of you may do that, and I'm not going to condemn you for it. I just used to do it all the time, and I found it didn't work for me. You know what I find works? When I befriend a neighbor. And I spend investing energy in them, and then they, and then you know, in time, they see the potent lifestyle, and then they understand this is what I need in my life. Too, you earned the right to share. I'm going to want to explain something about this to you, about this idea that your close proximity with the people that are already in your sphere doesn't even mean you know them yet. Some of you don't know a person who lives two houses down from you. Okay, you have got, got to get to know them. God put you in your neighborhood on purpose. Understand something? You must put effort into building relationships with the people in your mission field, in your sphere of influence, so that you can earn the right to talk to them about spiritual matters. So that you're not the stranger knocking on the door, that when you knock on the door, you don't even knock. You walk up the door. you you got the friends that you don't have to knock? You just open up the door and come in? That you're that kind of a friend. You just open the door and come in. Guess what? They'll listen to what you have to say. And you know what I found out? Because I, I, I have a tendency to fall in this trap. When I pastor churches, it's easy. When I'm a church planter and I start with zero, the first church we started, Suzanne and I, Josh wasn't even born. He was the first baby in the church. Um, so we had to get busy just so we could have a baby in the nursery because we didn't have any. It was just us, you know. Now, no, that's not what I meant it like that. Excuse me, you know. Just, Steve, stop it, stop it. I did not mean that at all like that. My wife was embarrassed. That's not what I meant. I just met. We needed to get some kids in the church. So we started it ourselves. Come on, get back on track with me here this morning. What was I going to say? This. That it was easy back then to spend my energy investing in lost people. Because there were no found people. We didn't have any people. So we'd spend all of our time with lost people. Just trying to befriend them, make them, lead them to Jesus. They'd get saved. And they'd become part of the church. But you know what? When the church gets bigger and it gets more complicated, and it gets more programs, it takes more hours, it's harder to to connect with people. But don't know the Lord. And you know what I found out? It's possible for you, and I've worked all kinds of jobs in my life, it's possible to go to work every single day. People still punch time clocks. Punch in. Punch out. And not make a real friend the entire time you're there. Oh, I'm reading my Bible at break time. Leave me alone. I'm not going to talk to you. It's possible to live in a neighborhood. we got this horrible thing that was invented. I, I love it in winter, but it's a horrible thing. It's called an electric garage door opener. Here's how it works. Now it works up here. You pull in your driveway. You push a button. Ours never works. I don't know why. 127 times I get it to open. Finally it opens. You don't even get out of your car. You drive in goes down behind you. You spend your time in this little cocoon of your house and you never really leave except socially, you go to work and to the grocery store, but you never really leave socially except to go to church and to do things with church people. Am I describing their lives maybe? We need to put some effort into getting to know new people. And you know what? Invite a, invite a neighbor over to a cookout and Surprise them! Tell them they don't have to bring anything. Here's the here's the here's the uh, challenge. We normally like we love to have the cookout or whatever a social event. We want to invite the same five or seven people that we invite every single time. They usually are the ones who sit by us in church. You know what? Invite some person into that circle who doesn't know Christ yet. And maybe if your Christian friends aren't real uh, salty, just bring them over on their own, you know. Ask a co-worker to go up for a cup of coffee after work sometime. Buy him a Cafe Misto, Grande Cafe Misto decaf at Starbucks. It's a drink you'll drink there. You know what? Um, Join a a volleyball team at work or a bowling league. You go... (gasps) bowling they drink there well we talked about how come we don't drink you know why I choose not to I've let you guys make your own choices but I told you that, you know what I have no problem going to a bowling alley I'm not sitting there drinking margaritas at the bar you know what spend some time getting to know some people help the single mom who lives across the street from you by watching her kids for free because you know what she needs a break and no one's helping her she feels all alone invite her into your world you know, here's what happens. People want the church to do that stuff. Every time something goes on, what's the church going to do about it? Guess what? There's no way you can really organize the church once it gets above, what, 50 people to know what needs are, and especially needs of lost people. Guess who the church is? Everybody everybody, go like this. <laughs> Some of you don't want to do this right now. You're the church. You know who needs to reach the mom across the street who doesn't know Jesus and she's completely overwhelmed because she has a couple of kids? The church you. Do something about it. Take opportunities to spend time with people socially. And you know what? Not to try to get a notch in your Bible. Don't have this idea that you're going there just to somehow, you know, I'm going to get another person in the kingdom. Do we want to do that? Yes. But you're you're just spending time with them to get to know them and to enjoy them and to become their friend. And just maybe God's going to give you an opportunity um, and it's going to rise in your conversation for you to answer some spiritual question that they have. Friends, don't go knocking the door over the, the spiritual door open the first day. Just spend time getting to know them, but do it on purpose. And just maybe God's going to give you an opportunity to answer a spiritual question. Just maybe you're going to say, "Oh, by the way, you're a veteran." You know what? In two weeks we got this service coming up to honor vets. Well, why don't you come to church? As a matter of fact, I'll buy you lunch if you come. Friends, it takes some energy to do it your highly potent lifestyle of love and kindness will influence them as you spend time with them that makes sense that's the part that oftentimes is the is a really tough one the next one can be kind of tough too let's move on to the last part about clear communication i think there's a misunderstanding in the church world today We've come to believe that if we simply live out our faith in an open and consistent fashion, which is high potency, and we're around people, which is close proximity, that they'll somehow see it, our Christianity, they'll want it, and they'll somehow figure it out on their own how to get it. But I want to tell you something, it just doesn't happen that way. Somebody needs to explain the gospel to them. The Apostle Paul says, how can they believe unless they have heard? And that's one reason I believe in being bringers because sometimes we're really uncomfortable with that. But I'm going to challenge you to not be uncomfortable. But one of the ways we can have them here is we invite them in the church. But church is a risk for some people. They've got hurt by church and they've never been in a church or they have all kinds of misconceptions about the church. You know, they, do you realize that we swing on chandeliers here? Where do people get that stuff? You know, we're rolling on the ground. We're swinging from the, from the rafters. No, it's a really safe place to come. You're going to be loved and cared for when you come here. You know, so there's all kinds of misconceptions The most effective person at sharing the gospel with someone is not the pastor. It's a trusted friend. The person who is the most effective at sharing the gospel with someone is someone who has earned the trust of a friendship. That's you and me. Now, it's great to bring them to church, and you know what? A lot of times you bring them to church, and they, it's that, that added thing that they get in the presence of God, and they respond, and they come to Christ, and I find it incredibly effective. But we are the ones who get the privilege and the responsibility of sharing. Now this doesn't mean that you've got to go out and preach sermons to people. That's not what God called you to do. He called me to do that. But it does mean that you should be able to explain what God has done in your life, and you should be able to explain how for God to do that in somebody else's life, how they could come to Christ. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You ready? I've not told you the secret before. I'm serious. Everybody listening? pastor mitch you ready here's the secret i teach you every single week almost every single week at the end of my message how to explain the gospel to somebody almost every single week on purpose i do it for you i explain what is called the bridge illustration there's all kinds of ways to explain salvation but I explain the bridge illustration on purpose. I even use hand signals usually. We're separated from God. There's only one thing that bridges the gap. It's Jesus as he hung on the cross. Does this sound familiar to you? I do it every single week on purpose. You know what I've had people do? They'll say, Pastor, I don't know how to tell somebody about Christ. And I'll go, have you been coming to church? Yeah. Are you sleeping by the end of the service? No. Well, then every week I explain to you the basic concepts of how to lead somebody to Christ. Inside your bulletin today. I put the bridge illustration. Now, some people would say the best thing to do with this is to take this and go put it in a laundromat. I say no. I say take it and put it in your heart. You know what? Flip it open. If you don't have one, if you didn't get a bulletin, just look at the person next to you. This is the basic. This is what you're telling somebody. Now, is this the only way to lead somebody to Christ? I didn't get saved. I didn't come to Christ by this. But you know what? How I got saved? I went to a church service. I told you this. I picked a track up off of a bookshelf in a little bookstore and I read the I read the questions and said, "Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. You believe this? Yes. You want to receive Christ? Yes. (laughs) Pray this prayer. I read it. Amen. I'm saved. Put it back in the bookshelf. (laughs) I really did. I don't want to pay for it. I got saved for free. You don't got to pay for this one. Here's the whole thing. Take these me- scriptures and just, and just meditate on them. Memorize them. Put them in the, in the file of your heart so that you can lead somebody to Christ. And don't worry about going through a certain system. But this is, in essence, what it's all about. The first part is, we talk about it all the time, is God's purpose is peace in life. That you know what? Every person's born since the fall of Adam even been separated from God, and it's not God's plan for them. But they're born separated from God, and they need to be rescued. Next page. But we've got a problem. There's something that separates us. It's sin. How many times do I talk to you about this? There's a great divide, a big chasm between you and God. And you can try anything you want to get across that ravine, across that chasm. You can try your good works. You can try, you can try anything to get across there, but you can't do it yourself. Separ- you're separated from God because of that. Third page shows you some of those attempts. You know, our attempts to reach out to God. Good works, religion, philosophy, morality. And I've always said, you know, you don't, get to, you don't get to heaven because of church. It's not about coming to church. It's about the fact that we're separated from God and we need somebody to bring us, to reconnect us with the Father. Next page, step three. God's bridge is the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his, gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the bridge that takes us, a sinful person, and he joins them. To a, to a holy God. The only way to come to fa- the Father is through Jesus, His Son. And then we respond. We respond to His invitation, not somebody's coercion. When I say the Holy Spirit, you feel something going on inside your spirit right now, that's the Holy Spirit. Would you like to respond to that? And that's what it is. It's our response to what the Spirit of the God is doing and we lead somebody in a prayer to ask Christ into your life. You know what, Friends. I tell you this every single week. I go through it week after week after week. But maybe you never really realized what I was doing before. It's just our, our secret, okay? Don't tell anybody else. Wrong. Tell everybody else. <laughs> okay? Become a friend to somebody. Live a, live a light, right lifestyle. Just live like Jesus. Make friends with people who don't know Christ. And have in your, in your arsenal... The ability just to explain what God has done in your life and how God can bridge the gap between them who are who don't know Christ yet and God who's waiting for them and provided the way. Friends, if we want to be maximum impact Christians, it's not really that tough. It's not about big church programs. Matter of fact, I'll say this. A church doesn't grow because of programs. No, wrong. I can make a church grow through programs. I We fight as a staff all the time. There's all kinds of things we can do. We can give away gifts. We can bring in big names. We can do all the stuff. We can be fanatical and, and do different stuff that appears that it's God and people will flock. Because it happens all the time in churches all over the place. Well, that's not what we're about. We're about seeing people come to Christ and be made into disciples. And we're about authenticity. One of our core values is authenticity. It's integrity. And that's what we want to be. So if you want to be a maximum impact Christian, you want, you want the joy of having God use you to bring somebody to Christ. We live lives that are like Jesus. And when we mess up, we just say we're sorry and we get better. We move on. We, on, in, on purpose, befriend people who don't know Christ for the sake of being their friend, but then for the, looking for the opportunity to share Christ with them. And then we just simply know how to clearly communicate the gospel to them. You know what? If you say, you know what, that clear communication one I really have a struggle with, how would I do that? Get the book I told you about, Bill Hybels, How to Become a Contagious Christian. I'm going to give you some guidelines in how to do that. Why don't you stand with me this morning?